0: Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Jenna Morton. And I'm Tosh Taylor. And on today's show, we are doing a Zoom recording and I gotta tell you, I feel out of whack doing it. It's it's been so long. It has, but luckily Francis with Hospice SEMB has come on board and is going to do the meeting this way. So Francis, you are the executive director. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having us. And I'll talk a lot with my hands. So
1: it'll seem like it's live. I love it. We, we, we get that. We are both deep hand
0: talkers, me especially. Yeah. <laughs> I keep my hands busy with a pen while we're while we're in here. So, Francis, let's let's start off learning a little bit more about you. How did you end up in this role?
2: Sure. So I've been working in non-for-profit management for uh, over 10 years. I worked on the regulatory side for a professional association um, since 2017 and then previously in Toronto in government relations. Um, And it was just looking for an evolution around still working in healthcare and non for profit uh, but something that was maybe more tangible and more directly linked to the cause, if you will. And the Hospice Southeast New Brunswick opening was available. It's literally across the street from where I live as well. So uh, the commute's wonderful. Uh, So I applied and here I am um, officially, I think, four months in, but unofficially six. So I'm really excited to be part of the team. That's
1: fantastic. Can you talk a little bit about what a Hospice SENB is for those people who might not be familiar with it or have heard the term but just it kind of glosses over because it isn't something that's come into their world yet.
2: Yeah absolutely and Hospice Southeast New Brunswick is a big organization with different entities so it can be confusing to sort of sort out who what where uh, but we are a registered charity and we've been in um, established in 2004 so we are 18 years old if you will um, a long history of promoting awareness of life-limiting illnesses, as well as end-of-life issues. Um, historically, our contribution to the community was around community programming, such as in-home visits, grief and bereavement support groups, as well as caregiver support groups. And we, those are still obviously available and mostly volunteer-led. So we have over hundred volunteers that serve in different capacities across the organization. We also have the Boutique Hospice Shop, which is our secondhand store social enterprise that helps fund our operations. And the, the, I guess the jewel in some way of the organization is the recent uh, opening of the Maison Albert House, which is a 10-bed residential facility located on Pleasant Street, so past Fabricville, uh, for those who are Moncton natives. Um, first of its kind in southeast New Brunswick. So we serve the Albert, Kent, and Westmoreland counties. So for those who need uh, care, we welcome residents as well as their families and provide free, confidential, and personalized care.
0: Okay, excellent. So um, let's dive a bit deeper into that. So you said you provide care. So um, let's maybe separate it from hospital care to hospice. What is the difference first?
2: Yeah, so we provide palliative care. So palliative is generally understood as a specialized expertise for people who are living with serious or life-limiting conditions. Um, I would say the large majority are cancer patients, but there can be others neurodegenerative or others. Um, And the goal of palliative care is really around symptom management and enhancing quality of life. So we look at the physical, spiritual, and emotional components of care. Palliative care is not limited only to hospice or hospital, but there's a, there's a significant um, amount of care that is provided in home through extramural, for example. So people who choose to live at home or are able to stay at home, there is palliative care in long-term care facilities, so nursing homes, for example, hospital for those more complex care um, needs, as well as hospice. So around hospice, um, the care is can be done at home, but also in residence like we have at Maison Albert House. And it is at that situation where um, any treatment around curing the disease is stopped so that the diagnosis or prognosis have been accepted. And then we work with the resident and the family to sort of go through that journey and really focus on quality of life, celebration, that legacy piece. Um, And the care is available 24 hours a day, seven days a week.
1: I'd love to hear a bit more about that idea of celebration and and really embracing life and and what that looks like day to day for your residents. Yeah, absolutely. We try to we try to provide
2: an environment that is very much like a home. It's a very beautiful home, but like a home. So when we have an admission of a resident, um, our staff sits down with the resident as well as the family to try to figure out who is this person. How can we provide that personalized care? Is there family recipes that we can make for for them? Is there celebrations coming up that we can honor? So we have a wishes program, um, for example, that tries to capture the wishes of the resident or family, and then um, provide that free of charge. So that Just as examples, we've had a birthday celebration, anniversaries here at Maison Abel House. We've had people driven around to look at the foliage or the Christmas lights or even have a beach day with family um, up in the Shidiak area. So we really tried to to highlight those special moments and to provide memories uh, for the families who in a large part are the ones that have to then deal with the grief after the passing of their loved ones.
0: Now, with uh, the people that are in your facility, if someone's coming for, like you said, we've got those three counties that you service, uh, can family members stay with them there?
2: Yep, absolutely. So we have four family rooms that are available free of charge for shorter term stays. Um, and we have full bathroom facilities and towels. So they can, it's sort of a hotel experience, if you will. Um, we also allow them to stay in the room. So we have cough as well and we really try to um, provide what we can to support them and you know based on family preferences so some want to be directly at bedside some want to be on location or variety of that we've also had pets come and stay um, as well so we really try to tailor it to the needs of the resident
1: can you talk a little bit about what it's been like know this is still a fairly new venture for this area what what is the reaction been from from both you know people who've come to the facility but also just you know those in the community getting to know it yeah absolutely so i'm probably
2: one of the newer members of the team and i will say it's been overwhelming to hear the feedback from families um it the the impact it has on the resident and their family is tremendous so it provides them um, the comfort that their loved one is taking care of, but also the space to really be able to enjoy those, that time, that quality time, if you will, without stressing about being able to accommodate it at home or a more maybe stressful environment in the hospital. Um, for some patients, they need to be in the hospital, but for others, um, it may not be the most peaceful place um, or that allows that sort of family um, aspect to come in. So uh, the feedback has been really quite positive. We're obviously always expanding. So o- obviously opening a new facility during COVID has some challenges. Uh, so we do have a, a few restrictions that remain in terms of how many people can be in the in the room at once, which is four. Um, but we're really trying to bring the community back into the Mazon Alba house to be able to share the space with our community, to share the space with our support groups um, and, inv- and also reach out to the community with new programming. So um, that's sort of the transition we're working through now is how do we bring the community back in in a respectful way, obviously, and also addressing the needs of the population. We're also really great at reaching people from the sort of general Greater Moncton area, but how do we reach people in rural and remote areas that still want the in-person experience? What other partnership can we develop to provide maybe more access uh, or better reach, so that's that's the ongoing work and transition that we're in right now.
0: Well, that's understandable, and I think there, in a way, um, on top of getting your marketing and your reach out there, it's also kind of breaking down the bias as to what it is as well. And I love the way you're talking about it, like Jenna said, like a celebration. And the fact that people get to spend maybe a lot less stressful time together while they're there, um, I think what you're providing is is an absolutely beautiful thing.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And and I think it's demystifying. Also, we live in a death phobic society, generally speaking, where death isn't spoken about or isn't normalized. So we're trying to open up the conversation. Um, when I introduce myself now, I get the same reaction. People go, oh, you know, like sort of that sort of empathy. And I say, no, no, it's a great working place. We're laughing all the time. It's super happy and, you know. Um, so I think from a almost a branding perspective, we really need to open up the discussion around death and also the hospice experience, that it really is a beautiful process. And this is how we can support you through that. Um, and Hospice Southeast New Brunswick, as an organization really wants to be at the center of helping people navigate the end of life process and issues um, and figuring out what our role is in that.
1: I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about, you know, the, the entry point for people. So if someone, you know, is going through something in their life, at what point does hospice become potentially an option for them?
2: Yeah. So We are an integrated model of care. So we work closely with extramural. So anyone that is admitted to hospice would have to be clients of extramural. Uh, So that's a logistic piece. And then we would work through the admission together. Um, But I think in terms of when is hospice appropriate, well, hospice and palliative may be appropriate at all ages and all stages of the disease, but it's encouraging people to have discussions sooner than later around the wishes of the patients, um, advanced care planning. So how do you want to be cared for? What does that look like for you? What are your wishes so that the family's better equipped to be able to help make those decisions or even facilitating or helping to navigate towards admission? Um, Just historically, I think there's a hesitancy to have the discussions too early because it almost seems like, well, I'm giving you a death sentence. Well, that's not the reality. It's more that you want to know where is the mindset of the person that you're working with um, and how you can um, help facilitate, facilitate that for them if the time comes. And we can certainly help support that process by providing information or support along the way.
0: I think that um, you're, you're hundred percent right about that. The conversation can't happen too early because that you might come to a point where the person is, if like, I'm thinking of my mom's situation now, she's got my grandmother living in the house with her and um, you know, grandma's nowhere near that, but now would be the time to have that conversation. Like how, how do you put that stress on yourself to keep your parent with you, but also you can't do it uh, so I think that that's a conversation that people of my generation and maybe a little bit older need to start thinking about that we we have to have these conversations with our parents now before it becomes too late and you feel like maybe putting them in here isn't what they would have wanted. But you also have to remember that it's what's best for you. Yeah,
2: absolutely. Because the bird not to call it a burden, but the load of caregiving is tremendous. Um, so these are conversations you want to have early. You want certainly to know what the wishes of your parents might be, you want to be emotionally prepared to address that. And the earlier that you start talking about it, the better prepared you might be, because we're going through grief all the time. So we've lost a pet or we've lost other things. So just going through that and normalizing it and building coping strategies throughout your life so that you are in preparation for a big loss like a parent but also are you financially prepared? Um, Do you have advanced care directives? Is there a will? Is there a power of attorney, like a financial one and a medical one? Uh, Do you have funeral arrangements? Um, They're all uncomfortable discussions, but um, very necessary, making sure that you know where the documentations are for your parents, so that when or if it happens, then um, there can be easier process to work towards Finalizing, if you will, um, the the process. So,
1: and is that something that you see quite often that you have to kind of help families through that process, or have they gone through a lot of those steps before they they come to you? I
2: think it's a a gap that remains. It's something that we're looking to see if we can't partner with organizations or even uh, professional services like lawyers, etc., to provide resources to them or education through forms of webinars Um, there's a lot of free resources available now through the canadian hospice palliative care association or even virtual hospice um, that can be accessed but it's certainly a need that we've identified that we're working towards trying to address
0: we had talked before we started recording about children in this situation and you were telling us about a great program that your cook has there. What are some ways that you guys help bring children in to the fold and maybe help normalize it for them as well?
2: Yeah, so it's using the example. So we have um, Lisa Gotro is one of our wonderful uh, cooks. uh, And she has a soft spot definitely for children. So so she has gone out of her way to um, provide Little cooking classes, if you will, with some of the grandchildren, with also the residents sitting by and experiencing that memory with them. We're also looking at providing maybe art experiences for those children or any other way for them to help um, address the, the needs, right, or even live through it. That can be really difficult for them. Um, as I said, I think throughout our life we have teachable moments, being through movies or a loss of a pet or a loss of a teacher because you're changing years. Um, so we really have to normalize the the conversation before something more serious happens. So allowing for those conversations, listening, you know, children are naturally really curious and sometimes they just want those questions to be addressed and providing information. Helps you alleviate the anxiety of it or the grief of it. It the lack of information that can actually create more worry of uncertainty and maybe more um, behaviors or unwanted behaviors such as acting out or even regression in terms of accidents, etc. So it's really intuitive to try to protect our children from these difficult deci- decisions. But in all in all seriousness, we really want to um, open up the discussion earlier um, and to provide age appropriate responses. So for young children, it might just be providing a regular routine and the sort of safety of being able to play and in a safe environment with toddler, just listen to their conversation, provide information. And then as you get older, then um, children may have more specific needs that you can address with the the child, um specifically. But for us, it's just really normalizing and providing that safe space for them to be able to express themselves.
0: So when it comes to our kids, and like you said, a a lot of it, I know that I was kind of raised, we didn't, I actually didn't lose anybody until I was much older. So it wasn't something that was ever brought up when I was a kid. Um, But how do we make them not death phobic, like our generation is?
2: Yeah, so take all the opportunities that arise to talk about death and loss and grief and that it's normal and uh, you're going to feel these emotion and that's totally fine and I will grieve by your side and don't be afraid to show your own emotion in grief right Um, yeah the intuition is like let me hide my emotion because I don't want to scare them well basically what you're saying is like it's not okay to have these emotions. Uh, I need to be strong for mama or vice versa. So provide that space and that opportunity to talk about it. So, you know, if there's a fly, um, the fly has a short uh, lifespan. Why does the fly exist? You know, the circle of life discussions, and it doesn't have to be um, doom doom and gloom, but rather sort of, what is the cycle of life? What does that look like? Um, How do we deal with loss when it happens do you do you already have coping mechanisms that you can use so do you like to paint or draw do you want to play music does that make you feel better so it's exploring that with the child and providing them a safe space to do so
1: that sounds so lovely just that i think it's so important for all of us to keep having that reminder of how important it is to to show our emotions to each other and just take that time to to feel them to experience them normalize them and and yeah think to ask someone else yeah what can we do to to make something feel better while you feel these hard feelings
0: yeah
2: and i think children grieve very differently than adults and every child is different so um you know in in reading one of the comments was that sometimes it's we miss it because we don't we don't recognize it as our own because it looks different so being really acutely aware of your child's behavior or how they're navigating this period um, and that can manifest in different ways that don't look typical to adults but maybe is a child's way to process through the emotions Um, and in some situations they may need professional help and that's okay too to sort of make that suggestion and facilitate that for them
0: Excellent. Okay, before we wrap things up for today, I have a couple more questions. As in, like, how many spaces do you have at Maison Albert, and how will people get a hold of you, et cetera, et cetera?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So we are a ten-bed um, facility, so we have ten suites and four family rooms as well. Um, so that's our capacity. Obviously, de- vacancy depends on the admission, et cetera. Um, you can reach out certainly on our website. As I mentioned, um, people who are interested in being admitted must be clients of Extramural. But if you're looking for information, feel free to call Mazzone House or Hospice Southeastern Brunswick. We're happy to help facilitate and provide information of who, what, where, because the people might be slightly different if you're in a community setting versus hospital. Uh, so we can play a role in helping with the navigation piece.
0: That's fantastic, and. Oh. Tell people about the hospice shop where they can go. Just just a little bit more. Where is it located? And do 100% of the profits go to uh, to hospice, et cetera? Yeah,
2: Hospice Boutique Shop is a great secondhand store. A frequent shopper, myself. um, So basically how it works is that we accept donations of slightly used items. So adult clothes, small furniture, glassware, paintings. There's a huge variety. Um, We then sell it um, and then it is donated back to help support the operation of the organization, including Mazwanba House. Uh, For those who want to donate, uh, you are given a number uh, if you donate any day except the Saturday and then at the end of the year we'll give you an income tax receipt for whatever we sold, so the amount that we sold. So there's a win-win I guess Um, and it's really reduced price. There's no HST so it's a great option. And we really do try to cater to a variety, not just of ages, but sizes and gender and so forth. So it's a great, um, it's a bit of a hidden jewel, but we're certainly looking to raise its profile.
0: Excellent. And it's, yeah, there's even an online store for it too. You don't even have to go in person. You can shop online as well. So, okay, that's enough of me plugging it. You know, I love it. So <laughs> it's on College shop. go check it out in Moncton. <laughs>
2: 164 College Street
1: there we go. (laughs) Thank you so much for sharing all of this with us today. Thanks for having us,